This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be together as usual. And uh, it is another uh, wonderful day, wonderful day. Let's be happy. I was on, I did an interview with a uh, radio show in uh, Illinois uh, at the crack of dawn on Wednesday morning. And I said, I'm going to start being upbeat, positive. There's lots of good things happening in people's lives. And a lot of people are going back to school, for example, and it's working out. And people, there's a lot, a lot of things. There's a lot of things. I don't want to be negative. On the other hand, we have to talk about Crisis Afghanistan Day 2. Crisis Afghanistan Day 2. And we will talk. Let me say another thing. Let me pause again. Back to my positive news. Later on in the program, I will talk about the great possibilities, not just of having laws that protect life, but of having people a growing respect for life through what are called the heartbeat bills. And one of them that you're hearing about, it passed in Texas, went into effect, and is going to have a huge impact. So, and there's a great story behind it. I'll tell you, Janet Porter, uh, Faith to Action, F2A.org, F2A.org is her website. Amazing lady, and we'll talk about that. But that's a very positive thing, not only because the law is, is, is good for helping to stop abortion, but it's also good because the heartbeat bill movement, the heartbeat movement is helping people realize uh, what life is and how it matters and protecting it. So, and, and, good news, sort of, California Election authorities with tax dollars are doing everything they can to try to steal the uh, recall election for Gavin Newsom, which is a good sign in the sense that he's losing. Uh, Hopefully he will still lose, although they may may still uh, steal it. And of course, Larry Elder continues to rocket up in his popularity. Uh, It's even better than it was because people are getting to know him. And he's just a likable guy who's a smart guy who happens to have the basically the American dream embodied in everything he's done. So that's going great. See, there's a lot of good things going on. And then we move to the crisis Afghanistan day two. And today, what again is the ongoing confusion in the messaging that the American people and the world are getting from the Biden White House. It's almost impossible to track uh, what, what they mean or what they're saying. You know, they, they, they have said they got everybody out who wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Then we find out that there's other people that couldn't get to the airport that still want to get out. We have an, a, a, trans, a, a translator a man who did translation for Joe Biden when his his uh, helicopter went down in a in a valley or had to land because of a snowstorm. The translator is stuck there. And we have this strange uh, situation where the press secretary, Jen Psaki, and the chief of staff, Ron Klain, are saying, oh, yeah, don't worry, we'll get him out. Tell him we'll get him out. How? How? Are we going to start sending in uh, uh, troops? And the answer is no. The answer is no. What we're doing is basically... We are on on crisis Afghanistan day two. We have conceded that we now are blackmailing ourselves. If you can believe that we're telling the world and especially the Taliban that we need to get our people out badly enough that we will give you money. What is it? What do I mean? Well, I mean that that Secretary of State Blinken has said we will give the Taliban aid. We will get out of the way of federal aid. We'll make sure the federal aid flows if they just let these people out. So we have blackmailed ourselves in front of the world. We have let the world see, not only, we'll talk in a few minutes with John Schlafly about the uh, nearly $100 billion of, uh, of, of military equipment. I think the number is $85 billion, but I don't trust them when they tell us that. I think it's, so let's just call it a cool $100 billion. And more importantly, do you know how much stuff that is? It's not like 50 guns and 12, uh, you know, radar machines and four planes or four uh, helicopters. It's literally thousands and thousands of weapons. It's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of rounds. 
It's all the kind of night goggles. It's trucks. You know, one of the things that there was a, an article about that I saw is it's thousands and thousands of vehicles. All this kind of stuff, right? Because we are basically living for 20 years in Afghanistan. So all of that, the message we've sent now on Crisis Afghanistan Day 2 is, yes, you have hostages. Yes, we'll pay for them. And the, the Taliban's probably like, we didn't even ask yet. We, 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 we keep telling the world we'll let people out, but we didn't even ask. But we're telling them, no, no, we'll give you the money. We'll give you money. We'll give you access if you just will let our people out. So we blackmailed ourselves, and it's going to cost us a fortune. You know, the, the world doesn't give them money without us giving the world money. In other words, if somebody says, oh, yeah, we'll give you some aid. It's all American money. We've spent more money, spread it all around the world. It's not The EU is not going to come bail them out. And so the real question is this. We blackmailed ourselves, and now the question you have to ask yourself, is it possible that the Taliban, on Crisis Afghanistan Day 2, is it possible that they have enough control to actually live up to their side of the bargain? Because all it's going to take is one incident where an American is, I don't know, hurt, killed, I hope not, but by Al-Qaeda, by ISIS-K, by whoever. And we're going to have this massive rush to figure out what to do. And be clear, the, the forces that want to have, you know, America kind of, uh, you know, get back on top by punishing people include all the media, a lot of the establishment that loves these forever wars, but a lot of the media, the media loves covering war. So if you get this sensational situation that happens because the Taliban, guess what, doesn't have the ability to really control their country, all of it, then we're going to end up in a position. And here's the last part of this. So let's finish with this. You do understand, don't you, that the Taliban and the Afghani, Afghani, Afghanistan economy is based on only one thing, right? The large, largest portion of the economy they're not a Silicon Valley over there. There's not a, uh, you know, they're not manufacturing uh, parts for Ford to use in the new Bronco. It's almost entirely the economy is based on opium, the poppy fields. So we have a nation who claims now the Taliban that they're religiously based and all that, but their, their entire existence is based on organized crime meaning the drug trafficking from the opium, from poppies, from the poppy fields to the opium and to, into Europe and around the world. This should remind you of Mexico, where we have a Mexican government who is completely controlled, entirely controlled, dominated by the cartels at the border, the drug cartels at the border that are, doing, that are, that are uh, uh, trafficking in drugs on the Mexican border. There's no Mexican government at the border. It's the cartels. They're trafficking in drugs, trafficking in, uh, in, in women and girls, illegal guns back and forth, mostly forth, mostly coming out of America into Mexico. And so now we have a Taliban government that is not... It's not a government that's kind of going to set up and be like, oh, yeah, if we could just keep it, we'll just have a really good job. We got the Coca-Cola bottling plant over there. We got this going here. We've got some Reese R&D going. No, it's opium. And the opium traffickers are the ones with the money and the guns and the power and the influence. So now, once again, we're, we're negotiating with not terrorists, but organized crime. They may be terrorists too, by the way, but it's organized crime. 
Now, I, I did an interview earlier today. I, I am not someone who's naive. I think when President Trump got in, one of the things that he did well was he said, look, I can't make uh, the, the North Korean president a, a perfect guy, but I can make it so he doesn't mess with us. I can't worry about whether the Chinese regime is totally morally corrupt, but I can make sure they don't mess with us. In other words, you take the national leaders, you take the people in the world leadership from where they come. I, you, you, we can't convert them all in a, in a, you know, by waving our hand. So I'm not naive about the impact of having these folks be bad dudes. But crisis Afghanistan day two, it looks like we blackmailed ourselves with organized crime. It's amazing. All right, we got to run. We got to take a break. We'll come back and talk to John Schlafly and uh, about what he uh, wrote about in this week's column. It's uh, Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Time to talk with our old friend, John Schlafly. John Schlafly is one half of the dynamic Schlafly duo. He and his brother Andy produced the Schlafly Report. It posts over at townhall.com, our sister site, and also is archived at phyllisschlafly.com. Each uh, Tuesday evening is when it tends to post. This week's column, What Biden Left Behind. Well, What Biden Left Behind, that title there makes me think it could be about anything. But turns out it's about all the stuff and that was left behind billions and billions of dollars of American equipment left behind in uh, Afghanistan. So, John, I'm reading this column and I'm thinking, and I don't think you said this. Um, what what should they have done it, it, with that much gear? Do you just destroy it? Is that what they should have done? Like uh, put it all in a pile and and destroy it, or do you bring much of it out? I mean, what we're t- we're not talking about like three uh, buses. We're talking about armories, right? And and uh, massive massive amounts of gear. Is that is that the opportunity? They, I mean, is that what they should have done? Do you have a sense? Well, I, I I mean, our military is you know logistics is a big part of the military and engineering and. Uh, you know, this has been, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan has been a long-running thing for years. And where is the plan? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, right. you know, honestly, I had no idea that there was this much stuff. But I guess if you thought about it, you, it would be kind of obvious. But, I mean, the amount of stuff is simply unbelievable. I mean, it makes Afghanistan, which is a small country, really, to be in proportion to its population, it's the best-equipped military in the world now and uh now on you know perhaps the afghans will not know how to operate it um right that's what i wondered yeah some of that what a massive massive you know investment in equipment in you know in uh moving you know you know trucks and tanks and uh uh i guess they can use guns and the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of rifles, uh, it's just unbelievable. And uh, and then we get into the, you know, the data that apparently has right. gone through their hands, which, which right. we have built over many years to compile biometric data about everybody in Afghanistan and what we know about them. And that's, you know, that is an incredible cache of information, a trove which has now fallen into enemy hands, I guess it's fair to say. Well, and again, we're talking with John Schlafly, and the column is over at phyllisschlafly.com as well as townhall.com, the Schlafly Report. Uh, John, I thought, and I should have sent this to you earlier, you could have used this great line. I said, um, you know, in America, if, you, if your name is on a watch list, you, you know, you might have to take your shoes off at the airport. If, if it falls into the Taliban's hands, they might take your head off. 
I mean, this is this isn't a different kind of category. And so here's my question, John. Earlier in uh, the day on, I think, Wednesday, we heard uh, from uh, Secretary of State Blinken. Could have been in Tuesday, one of his conversations. But the clip I heard was in the last, I don't know, 48 hours. He said, you know, well, we may work with the Taliban. Now, remember, John, I- I'm of the mindset that uh, what Donald Trump did as president was say, I don't get to pick who's the president of North Korea. I don't get to pick who's the president of Russia or China. I got to deal with all kinds of people, a little bit like I think he was used to dealing in Manhattan, in New York City, when you talk about a real estate deal. You you know, the guy who's running the job site that you have to deal with, that's who you have to deal with. His may or may not name might end in a vowel and have some family history in the, in the uh, refuse business, but that's how it goes. So I'm not against dealing with bad guys. Uh, and now we have to deal with the Taliban. Is is the point here that the Taliban are, well, we hope interested in having their own nation as opposed to picking a fight with us? Is that the way this plays out, you think? Hopefully. Well, I don't know the answer to that, Ed. The, uh, I mean, the, the way the this group called the Taliban and their ex- exact relationship to the other Islamic groups that are much in the news, whether it's ISIS or Al-Qaeda or, uh, you know, the Islamic State or all these other things. I, honestly, I don't, do not know. But, uh, and it's true, we, you know, we cannot uh, annex and govern the Islamic or Muslim world. We cannot do that. And uh, the Afghanistan is exhibit A on that. We, I think we tried too hard to do that. We tried to turn them into a Western country, and now the the New York Times is complaining. I don't know if you saw it, Ed. It didn't make it into the column, but um, there was a woman in Afghanistan who was training to be a boxer, and she wanted to go to the Olympics to be a a boxer, a woman. And uh, you hmm. know, she's probably not going to be able. To, she's probably not going to be able to do that. Now, uh, the New York Times thinks that is the greatest consequence of America's withdrawal. That, <laughs> that Afghanistan will not be able to send a female boxer to the Olympics. Well, I mean, there may be bigger issues than that. but uh. <laughs> Seems like there might be. Again, we're talking with John Schlafly. His column is uh, the Schlafly Report each week. Uh, John, in the midst of your column this week, you have a quote from uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, the White House National Security Advisor, um, who, who frankly doesn't inspire confidence, I think, in anybody. He doesn't seem to be uh, you know, a serious guy, but whatever. I mean, I, But he wrote, he said this, and you quoted it. He said, the Biden administration lacks a, quote, complete picture, end quote, of all the military equipment left behind. Um, is he just lying? I mean, John, at this point, with the technology that we have, you know, satellites and everything else, with the, you know, with the amount of money spent managing our military, you mentioned the logistics, you know, uh, a lot of the, a lot of logistics actually are, are, are run out of uh, uh, the uh, Air Force Base near St. Louis, which we know so well. Is he just lying? I mean, they must really know what they left. They must even really know what's going on, don't they? I mean, this idea that they're saying, aha, we don't really know, is that possible in the modern moment? Well, it doesn't seem possible. I mean, just look at Walmart. I mean, you know, every, everyone has been to Walmart, and the Walmart's success is due to the fact that headquarters in Bentonville, Arkansas, knows exactly, down to the tiniest item, as to what, uh, what is in every store in the country, and uh, you know, how many they have, and how many sold today, and, all of the, and where they, the next shipment is coming from, and all of those things. You know, that was really the secret to building the Walmart stores. Now, the, the, you know, the Pentagon ought to have, you know, uh, 
ought to have that kind of inventory control over every one of the objects, the supplies, the equipment, the motor, you know, you know, rolling stock and everything else that they shipped and sent to Afghanistan. I do not know why they would not know that and exactly where it is and have it with a geos, uh, you know, geolocation. So that if some, so that if it falls into the wrong hands, we know where it goes. I mean, this is technology. This is what we expect. And, and I cannot imagine what Jake Sullivan meant when he said he liked a complete picture. Yeah, I mean, and also to your point, uh, you know, Walmart is. Uh, I mean, I know they're really good, but they they're Walmart. I mean, they're a business, and they, they you know they they know when a when Hurricane Ida is uh, is three days offshore, they start to adjust their need for water, their things. I mean, as you point out, we've got to be as good as that. All right, John, I want to transition while we have you. We're talking with John Schlafly. Just got a couple minutes and comment on the Texas law that went into effect uh, on abortion and was allowed to go into effect, uh, although challenges went up to the Supreme Court. If you read all the coverage, and I think I read almost every article, I went look for them all, and I, I'm, I'm going to talk about this at the end of the program in my segment there. Uh, they didn't refer to it, what, what you and I know as the name, which is the heartbeat bill. The, the movement to reduce back to a certain set of weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, whatever the number is, was based on this idea about five years ago, four plus years ago. Uh, Janet Porter and others said, hey, let's use this way to describe what we're talking about. When there's a heartbeat detected, the baby's protected. It, it changed the way people relate to that. It's a very persuasive way to look at it. Of course, they're not quoting that now. They're just saying, the uh, you know, this is a terrible intrusion into, uh, quote, unquote, women's rights. What's your sense on the uh, abortion moment? I mean, I... A lot of talk about this is heading towards the Roe v. Wade revision, uh, revisiting. What do you think? Well, it's a very important development, and this, this Texas law is different from all the other heartbeat laws, though, uh, in that it was very ingeniously designed in such a way that it's invulnerable, almost invulnerable, to being, you know, for Planned Parenthood to find a friendly federal judge to declare it unconstitutional, because it's not enforced by any state official. Uh, normally, uh, Planned Parenthood will sue the state official responsible for enforcing a state law, and a friendly judge will issue an injunction against enforcement. Right. That's what happened in the original Roe v. Wade case uh, 40, what is it, 47 years ago from Texas. Right. Uh, 48 right. years, I'm not sure the exact number. But, uh, you know, so... They, the, the abortion industry is frustrated that they cannot do that with the Texas law because it's structured differently, and it's now in the Supreme Court, and this, as whether the Supreme Court will take some action. It's sitting there, but the law has gone into effect, and there's no court ruling against it. So, you know, this is where kind of in charted, uncharted waters as far as the legality of it is concerned. Uh, uh, but, as you say, the important thing is the principle of the growing human life, uh, which right. is represented by the beating heart, which is, of course, stopped when abortion mm -hmm. is performed. And we, those of us who care about life, and the, particularly the human life, uh, that is a, you know, a moment that cannot be denied, can't be denied. Mm -hmm. It's not. Yeah. It's nothing but a human life, and uh, the taking of a human life is a crime, or ought to be seen as a crime. 
Right. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's been a very effective, and I salute Janet Porter, and uh, I know you, you played a role. We all did, Phyllis Schlafly's organizations, uh, at helping with that. All right, John, the column, What Biden Left Behind, August 31st, posted late last night. Uh, go to townhall.com and see it there, or phyllisschlafly.com, where all of John and Andy Schlafly's columns are archived. We'll talk again next week, John. Thank you, uh, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin, it's a Pro-America Report. Welcome back. And our next guest, I've been so interested to talk to him. His name is Tom Carter. He's the president of the American Conservative Values ETF. And he's going to explain all this to you. It's an exchange-traded fund. But here's where it fits together in my analysis. Um, So many corporations... And in the last four or five days, we have another example. Chase, a bank, uh, canceled General Flynn's credit card for uh, a concern about reputation or something like that. It's an interesting thing to say. I mean, I don't know how many people like buy pornography with uh, credit cards. But anyway, we'll move along. But uh, uh, this is th- the point here is what can you do? In America, you got to have freedom. People can be either dumb or even uh, unkind, and th- that's not a crime, right? So uh, we're going to talk with uh, Tom Carter. Welcome, Mr. Carter, to the program. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Ed. Thank you for having me. Well, so first explain to me what this is. I mean, in other words, what is that? What exactly is an exchange traded fund? And and how would, re- you know, regular folks, listeners say, oh, I see that. that how do I get involved in that? Tell us, tell, walk us through that part of it before we talk about why you think this American conservative values ETF is so important. Sure, Ed. I mean, uh, an exchange traded fund is essentially a, a mutual fund, right? It's a right. it's a group of uh, people who hold um, shares in a, in a mutual fund, but this mutual fund happens to to trade on an exchange. So, an right. individual investor can go if they have a brokerage account with Schwab or TD Ameritrade or what have you. They can go buy this fund just like they would any other security in their portfolio. Or if you have a IRA, you can buy it through your IRA account if you are allowed to trade stocks, things like that. So it's essentially a mutual fund that trades on an exchange. And so if if I go to buy your one, the point here is you're going to you're going to have sort of conservative value uh, stocks in that fund. Right. And but I just ask you the hard question first or what it seems to me. What happens if you have like a good company and you're like, OK, there's X company. They're uh, manufacturing. They're doing nice things. They, they're not going to mess with anybody. They make Amer- let's say they make American flags. And then for some reason, they decide to, you know, roll over for Nancy Pelosi. Do you guys plan on dumping that stock or how would you handle that? It's an interesting problem. Yeah, isn't it? We, we- we, we might. We might. I mean, we, we certainly look at the news cycle and see what's happening within the news cycle. I mean, you just mentioned Chase a few minutes ago. We have looked at things where there have been good companies that we didn't think were necessarily woke, and then they might come out and support, let's say, training their employees on critical race theory. They might come out against uh, a particular, um, like like in Georgia, when they came out against the elections in Georgia, both Coca-Cola and Delta came out against the new election laws in Georgia, and we boycotted or divested in both of those companies. So it does depend on the news cycle and, and what conservatives generally feel about, about some of these companies, for sure. And uh, and Tom, before I forget about it, tell me tell me the best website for people to go learn more and more about. It. Again, we're talking with uh, Tom Carter, who's the president of the American Conservative Values ETF. Tell us the best website for people to go look for this. It's www.acvetfs.com. So www.acvetfs.com is the best website. 
You know, while I'm talking to you, I pulled up on my one of my accounts and I found it's uh, I found it listed. Its listing is ACVF. If you're searching for the the listing there for for the funds, so you can track it down. Um, Tom, what's the response? I mean, I hear a lot of conservatives who say I'm frustrated, right? And yet they let me give you a better example. A lot of conservatives for years said I'm frustrated with uh, China. They're taking our jobs, but we sure like the cheap stuff. You know, we like to go into Walmart and getting cheap stuff. If you'd raise the price of the of the chair I bought, bought to watch my son play soccer from twelve dollars. To twenty-two dollars, I might get upset. It is a lot. In other words, a lot of people are upset, but they don't necessarily move to action. Are you are you finding people are understanding and then moving to action on this? Well, we are. I mean, we've uh, in, in the last week we've gotten a lot of good press. People like yourselves and others um, that have talked about what we're doing, and we have seen some action. Um, the fund has essentially doubled in the last uh, week. We were at fourteen million. We're almost at twenty-seven million today. So we are seeing people take action. And what we're seeing people do is say, look, I'm giving my hard-earned money, my investments, and right now I'm giving it to people that I'm not sure they share my values. We're giving them an option, Mm -hmm. a choice, um, something where hopefully they can invest in companies that share their values or at least don't invest in companies that don't share their values. That's the that I think that's part of it. And again, um, is the what's the barrier? I mean, can can you get in trouble? Is there anybody that can say you're not allowed to act like this? I mean, if you if you did as a fund, if you got up and said, we're going to act like uh, we're going to say pick a different way to preference, we're only going to I don't know. I mean, could you do this? We're only going to buy uh, white companies, companies owned by or led by white people. And someone would say that's that's improper. Is there a regulatory body that is lurking around the corner? I often tell our listeners, Tom, that it's um, big government is finds a million ways to tie your hands without having to announce that they indicted somebody is are you at all afraid of uh, of those kinds of regulations well you know we're, we're over we're overseen by the SEC the Securities and Exchange Commission right. who oversee any kind of investment products we don't feel I mean essentially we're a we're a we're a mutual fund right we are yep. we look a lot like an S&P 500 fund our our goal is to perform like a large cap stock fund and all we're doing is we're boycotting holdings and companies that we that we think are acting against conservative values so we don't see any reason for somebody to shut us down um, frankly we haven't gotten any negative press yet I'm, I'd almost like some negative press I'd like to, <laughs> to pick us up and talk about us negatively right that would be fine with me frankly right. um, but so uh-huh. far we don't see any regulatory barriers to what we're doing one of the things I think was important about the timing of this, and the reason I jumped when I was emailed your information uh, by Will, uh, one of the one of the PR guys that watches good stuff, is a lot of people in the latter part of the year make changes in their portfolio, right? If you have a portfolio, you get some dividends or dividend reinvestment, you decide to move things. So it's kind of the sweet spot to say, hey, pay attention as you go towards the end of the year. Here's an option. I mean, that's one of the things I think is important for people to hear uh, going down the stretch. I mean, maybe tell tell our listeners and tell people about how that is sort of what uh, consumers of funds and, and stocks will do. That's a sort of habit, right? Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I, I think annually, you know, you sit down with your financial advisor. If you're doing, if you're doing your own portfolio management and you're managing your own money, you might sit down, um, kind of in the fourth quarter of the year, evaluate your portfolio and look to see where you, you know, you have openings to buy other things or, or you want to uh, transact in, in, in different kind of securities. I think we're giving people an option to look at their portfolio and say, you know what, I own this S&P 500 fund. I had no idea I held Comcast, who owns NBC. 
NBC. I had no idea I held Disney, who owns ABC, or AT&T, who owns CNN. I have a choice now where I can buy a fund that boycotts these particular companies, so I'm not investing in the liberal media, or I'm not investing in um, Facebook and Twitter, who are denying conservatives' First Amendment rights to be able to post what they think uh, about the world. So we're giving people a choice to invest in things, like I said, and I, and I continue to reiterate this, hopefully companies that share their values or at least companies that don't share their conservative values. It surprises me. Again, we're talking with uh, uh, Tom Carter. It surprises me nobody's quite done this before. Are there are there others that have tried? Is there a space? I mean, I, could, I actually could imagine somebody doing a pro-life fund where you just say to pro-lifers, this is one that keeps you you know away from anything like that. It feels like this is um, something somebody should have done. Are you first in or, are you, or others have done it and not been effective? We're, we're one of the first in. Um, there are certainly faith-based funds. I think there are funds I see. that um, yeah. that follow maybe maybe the Catholic religion. I think they're called the Ave Maria funds and funds like yep. that. But from a conservative perspective, and and we're not faith-based. I, I will I will say we are conservative, but not purely faith-based. Um, but based mm-hmm. on that, we are one of the first. There is a MAGA fund, mm-hmm. M-A-G-A. They have a completely mm-hmm. different philosophy than us. They look at where companies um, invest, or I'm sorry, they look at companies, how they contribute to political candidates and whatnot, and if they're overwhelmingly mm-hmm. Republican, they might invest there. We are doing something different where we are boycotting companies who, who are going against conservative values. Got it. All right. Tom Carter, uh, one last thing I want to make sure, acvetfs.com, right? acvetfs.com. Check, people can check it out. Um, the... Uh, how much are you up to? Tell me the num- numbers in there, because one of the things that's important is, and, and well, let me a, a different question. How do you how do you stay diverse in in this fund? In other words, if you can't do Coca Cola because they go bonkers, well, you know, most people say these funds, the power of the funds is sort of stay diverse and ride, you know, the general market. How do you what what, what how do you do that with this fund? It's a great question, right? You take you take Amazon or Apple out of a portfolio, and you still want to have diversity yeah. <laughs> within your right. investments. So what you do is we we try to overweight um, other companies that might be in their sector. Um, we try to make sure that our sector balance is very similar to the S and P five hundred, so that you're getting exposure in a, in a similar manner to other large cap funds. Our goal, like I said, is to is to achieve large cap performance. While and and we boycott right now almost twenty seven percent of the market cap of the S&P 500. So it's a pretty significant boycott, but we are, knock on wood, keeping up with, uh, with the index and performance. Um, you know, we've led in performance for a while. We've trailed some. Um, currently, we're tra- trailing by about 20 basis points. But we've, we've, we've kept the portfolio in line with what the S&P 500 looks like, even with eliminating a lot of those securities we've discussed. Hmm. Really interesting. By the and, way, I congratulate. There's a piece. Of, go, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Tom. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and, and the other question, we're we're up to almost twenty eight million dollars. The fund has doubled in the oh. last week um, because of folks like yourself and 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 getting the word out. And so investors are really are really coming in, and we're we're excited about that. Hmm. Very good. Uh, by the way, I meant to mention there's a good uh, piece in the Washington Times uh, there. It's a conservative investment funds take aim at woke corporations. I'll put that up on social media. All right. Uh, I need to go. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. But I want to say again, thank you, uh, Tom, for your time. And it's a very interesting subject. And, and, and come back on the show again uh, and fill us in on how it's going. Uh, Tom Carter, he's the president of the American Conservative Values ETF, a new exchange traded fund uh, for investors. If you don't want to uh, invest in woke corporations, this is an avenue. So appreciate it very much, Tom. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate you having me. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Primaried has become a popular term for dealing with disappointment by entrenched incumbents in both political parties. Primaried means an attempt to defeat an official in his own primary. Primary challenges are a healthy way to shake up the status quo in politics. In primaries, the grassroots rise up and overcome the enormous advantages of incumbency to replace a rhino with a conservative. Fear of being primaried is also a powerful motivator for incumbents. No politician wants to experience the enormous political embarrassment of a primary defeat. That might be a major contributing factor to the sudden new interest by Texas Governor Greg Abbott in the southern border after years of inaction. Governor Abbott arranged for photo ops of himself with Donald Trump during their joint visit to the border recently. The state of Texas can afford to complete the building of the wall that Trump started, and Governor Abbott has finally hinted at doing so. Other states are even coming on board to lend a hand. At least in the Lone Star State, the timing of this action may have more to do with the early primary and the field of Republican candidates running against Governor Abbott in that primary. A month before Governor Abbott's newfound interest, Texas GOP Chairman Alan West released a compelling video of him speaking in front of the incomplete border wall just south of El Paso. Then West declared he would run against Abbott in the Republican primary. Texas Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller, who's already won a preliminary ruling against President Biden's equity agenda and prevailed in a statewide election in the past, is another conservative pondering a run against Governor Abbott in the March 1st, 2022 primary. If Governor Abbott cannot muster 50% in the primary, then a runoff election will be held, which historically favors the most conservative candidate. Conservatives should never underestimate the power of a good primary challenger. Incumbents may have an advantage, but they are far from invincible, and they know it. All elected officials must be held accountable to their constituents, and primaries are an important way to do just that. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we think it's time to take Washington back from the power brokers. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're organizing a grassroots movement to stand against the deep state bureaucrats who control government. For the latest strategies, go to phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Pro-America Report. And listen, I want to uh, spend a few moments. I want to talk about this because I opened the show talking about the uh, crisis Afghanistan again, Afghanistan crisis day two. But I want to make sure to visit uh, and spend some time. First of all, I want you to hear the name Janet Porter. There's a woman named Janet Porter who is the founder and the leader of, of a, a, an organization that has been fighting uh, to get protect life fighting against abortion. The organization is called Faith to Action. If you go to its website, I believe it's Faith to Action. Oh, shoot, I better check and make sure. Faith to Action, I'll find out for sure. But uh, Janet Porter's extraordinary. And what happened in Texas on Wednesday was that a law went into effect that protects babies in the belly earlier than almost any law. And you can hear the left writing, uh, scream, screaming about it all over the place because they're so upset that this happened, that this went into effect. But here's the, here's the interesting thing that they're not covering. 
It's uh, so, sorry. It's f2a.org. Faith to Action. F2a.org. F2a.org. You can go there and find out more more about them. But here's the thing. Years ago now, almost five years ago, I think. Uh, yeah, just about five years ago. Um, right around now, a few weeks for a few weeks into September, maybe a week from now. Um, a week, literally. Well, no, it's not less now. What day is it? It's, it's September 4th or 5th. No, September 10th. Sorry, this is ridiculous. I'm doing this on the air. But September 10th, I think it was, Janet Porter talked to some key people about what she had come up with called the heartbeat bill. And she had proposed that in other parts of the country. And the notion was when you hear a heartbeat, when you can detect a heartbeat, the baby should be protected. And the, the value of this proposition was that it was so persuasive to people because you could literally hold up a, a, a heart, a beating heart of a five-week-old baby, six-week-old baby, 19-day-old baby, I think is when it is, and you could hear the heartbeat, and it sounds like a heartbeat. You can't, it's like the telltale heart. When you read the Edgar Allan Poe story from your childhood, you never really get over it, that ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And if you, so I remember giving talks and, and, and talking about this, and I would hit the microphone, I'd hit the microphone and make it sound like a heartbeat. It's so recognizable. And what we found over time, and Janet Porter led on this, was that people related to the idea of life because of a heartbeat. You don't, if you see someone hit by a car and you go over to see if they're alive, I guess you might listen to, you might uh, see if they're breathing through the, the, you know, the respiration on your, you know, you put your face next to your cheek next to their mouth, but mostly you listen to their heart, right? A heartbeat. And so it's been very persuasive. It's passed in lots of places. The weak need Congress, Paul Ryan was speaker, didn't get it done, which is ridiculous and a blight on his quote unquote pro-life record. But in lots of states, they passed it. That's what they did in Texas. And here's the real credit to Janet Porter. Well, she wouldn't say that. She'd say the real credit to Janet Porter and her effort is saving babies and saving lives. But I want to tell her one other thing about her credit was that these people who are so pro-abortion they won't call the Texas bill a heartbeat bill because they know it's too convincing. So they're calling it a six-week bill, a six-week uh, a ban on abortion. Uh, they're calling it an early ban on abortion. They won't call it what, what has been branded the whole time a heartbeat bill because they know it succeeds. If you say to Joe or Judy Sixpack, don't you think we should protect anybody whose heartbeat is going? They intuitively say yes. It's not even a it's no-brainer. And so the tribute here, Janet Porter, and congratulations and God bless you, is that the New York Times is refusing to call the Texas law a heartbeat bill. Now, there's other pieces of that law. and We, you know, we talked to John Schlafly earlier that are incredible in Texas. They make it so that individuals, not the government, can be involved in protecting life and all. It's all very interesting. But the key is changing the way people thought about abortion to think about a heartbeat. And that's what Janet Porter did. And that's what the people that promoted the heartbeat bill did. So as we go towards a discussion of what abortion is, why it happens, why people say they need it, all this kind of stuff. And as the Supreme Court heads towards at least a consideration, I don't want to get too far out, but they're at least going to consider the framework that Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton pulled out of made up out of whole cloth. Just made up. There's now, there, there's, as we talked about before, there's Clark Forsythe's book on, on this. He got the notes, the memos back and forth between the clerks in the Supreme Court, and they made it up. They made up the whole framework of abortion. Trimesters, made up. They made up all the viability, made up. They made all this stuff up, and they went for it, and they made this terrible decision that's been around all these decades, almost 50 years. 
And it became persuasive. People said, oh, well, in the first trimester, thinking that the first trimester meant something in terms of science or, I don't know, anything, life. And, the, the, and, and so Janet Porter, who I think probably would say life begins at conception and why we do this to any baby, but she changed the way you think about it by the heartbeat, Bill, and the heartbeat, and thinking about the heartbeat. That's what Texas did. That's what a whole bunch of states have done. And that's not just changed the way that those laws are handled in state legislatures, and I should say there was a hearing up on the on Capitol Hill in the U.S. Congress, one of the subcommittees, and it was uh, Congressman Steve King who had the courage to have a witness, a testimony from a baby in the belly of a woman. The baby was in the belly of a woman, and they put up on the screen the ultrasound and listened to the heartbeat. So the, the, the reality here is the whole uh, understanding how people relate to the question of abortion was changed by Janet Porter's movement to do the heartbeat bill. It's extraordinary. And it has also changed the context for any revision or reconsideration of Roe v. Wade. Because if you think that, that uh, Supreme Court justices, I mean, especially with Chief Justice John Roberts on the court, don't understand that these, that, that what matters in the society, you know, how people are relating to the issue doesn't, that it doesn't matter, you're crazy. It does matter. And so, an unbelievable series of events doesn't mean that abortion will be gone forever at all. It doesn't mean that yet, yet at all. And maybe, you know, we'll see how long it takes. But it means that and more and more people, and here's the last kicker, lots of young people, lots of young people, they don't even understand when the, so there's a middle-aged set of people, about 30 to 50, maybe 35 to 55, that think that abortion is like a right, and they've got to have it. And younger people are like, I don't know. We kind of see that. We hear that. We can see the ultrasounds. What are you talking about? It's incredible. Congratulations to Janet Porter. All right. We got to run. Thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley, to Joanna for helping us book guests, and you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.